the last words that Janet read, some of the last words that Janet read from the passage we heard today. Offer yourselves to God as people alive from the dead and your bodies to God as weapons for justice. Sin no longer has power over you for you are now under grace. Weapons for justice. When you hear the word weapon, what comes to mind usually? For me, especially this week, guns, also swords, bombs, tanks, all the things that I was not allowed to play with when I was a child and which I now feel like I am in constant conversation with my four-year-old about, about why we don't like weapons, because weapons hurt people. And when we play with weapons, we're pretending to hurt people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Little did my parents know that when I was a child, my friends and I played war in the basement with like spies and planting bombs in enemy territory. If you didn't have a gun, use a tennis racket. I guess I turned out okay. (laughs) This most Mennonite of reasons for eschewing weaponry, why we don't want weapons. We are peacemakers. Uh, It is for this reason that many of us, uh, many Mennonites, omit verse 3 from the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, which is, which is, you may remember, Be thou my buckler, my sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. Now that is one of my favorite verses of that hymn. Um, And I am kind of annoyed that the new hymnal will not have that verse in it. Uh, It's one of my favorite verses. And not just because saying the word buckler is kind of fun. Uh, It means shield, by the way, a small shield that's used to like fend off blows and even strike your opponent. Um, That and Ebenezer were the two words that I I had to look up when I was singing my my hymns. Ebenezer, by the way, is like a stone monument. Um, I like that verse about bucklers and swords and high towers. Because instead of taking on the weapons of war, I am inviting myself to be clothed in grace, and I am armed with the God of justice. We more often hear the words in this passage that Janet just read uh, as, let your body, we, we heard, let your bodies be weapons for justice. Mostly we hear it as instruments or tools of righteousness. Righteousness. Uh, I don't know about you, but to me, where justice speaks of action, righteousness is all attitude and not in a good way. More like self righteousness. But justice, justice is part of the armor of God. Uh, in, in Ephesians 6, 
this, this is when I understood Ephesians 6, this is when I started loving uh, verse 3 of Be On My Vision. Because we're putting on, instead of the weapons of war, the, the accoutrements of military, we're putting on God. We're putting on God's justice, the breastplate of justice, the sword of faith. That is the kind of armor that I am ready to arm myself with. For Paul, this is what life in Christ looks like. A life in which we are armed and equipped powerfully and joyfully in Christ. And it's pretty important for the way that Paul talks about sin. When you read through that, this passage from Romans, when you read through all of Romans, boy, sin shows up a lot. And while he does talk about people sinning, a verb, most of the way that Paul talks about sin is as a noun. And that's significant because sin is a thing that has agency. It has influence over us. It is a power, a power unto itself, and it's exerting power over each of us all the time and against all creation. So if sin is a power to be defended against, and we who are clothed in Christ, we who are members of God's family, part of God's reign, if we clothe ourselves in Christ, those weapons of justice, if we ourselves are weapons of justice, then we are ready. We are ready with a power that is just as power, powerful as sin, the death defying power of God. But sin, when I say it's a noun or it's a force, it's still pretty, it's kind of amorphous, hard to grasp the idea of what sin is. So the example that has been most absorbing to me of late is white supremacy. White supremacy is sin. Where sin is the force that carries us along, carries us further from God's desire for the fullness of all creation. Racism and white supremacy separate us from what God's desire is. And as a white person, it's very easy to let myself be carried along by that current. Because there is nothing in culture which compels me to do otherwise. Peggy McIntosh, whom some of you may have heard of, wrote a list 30 years ago now in an essay called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. It is a list that, sadly, when you read through it, still is so resonant. 30 years. Uh, a list on which, and I encourage you to, to go find it uh, and find yourself in it if you, are, if you identify as white. Uh, a list which includes the daily instances and encounters in which she, as a white person, had never had to think about how race was at play. Uh, the ways that privilege has afforded her, the things that privilege has afforded her but not her neighbors and colleagues of color. So things like always being able to find a bandage in flesh tone, which meant her flesh. 
always been a being able to do well in a challenging situation without being considered a credit to her race. Never being asked to represent her race when speaking to an issue. Being certain that when pulled over by a police officer or audited by the IRS, it had nothing to do with her race. She says, in my class and place, I did not see myself as a racist because I was taught to recognize racism only as individual acts of meanness by members of my group, never in invisible systems conferring unsought racial dominance on my group from birth. The sin is not the action of denying someone entry to a restaurant because they are black. The sin is not using a racial slur, although sin is the force that compels those actions. Sin is the in infection of a whole culture with both explicit and implicit anti-black biases and prejudices. We, we who are living in and through Jesus, we are called into, into that understanding that God's vision for all people is that we might be whole in our humanity and that we might be weapons of justice against the forces of sin. So we have the eyes to see through that invisible backpack that those of us who are white are carrying. We can't take it off, but when our bodies are weapons of justice, we can carry it lightly and we can carry it with intention. <sighs> okay, but being a weapon of justice can actually be kind of tiring work and hard and confusing. And carrying that knapsack of privilege can feel pretty heavy when you're aware of it all the time. And sometimes we forget that we're wearing it because it's still invisible. And here's where grace comes in. Here's where I give Paul all the credit. And grace, too, for all the mistakes that Paul made, because he made lots. And he had lots of privilege. Grace, because I, like Paul, also make mistakes. What? <laughs> if you are among the small readership of my midweek message to children, to families with children and youth, uh, you will already have heard me admit that I make mistakes. And you've seen me make mistakes all the time. I make mistakes constantly. I forget to light the candle. I forget that we're doing a reading. I forget that I'm supposed to be on prayers on a given Sunday. These are things that I, I make mistakes. And you all are so full of grace for all of those mistakes. So grateful. But I make more grievous mistakes like that than that. And in my midweek message last week, I talked about being challenged on softening the language that I used about slavery to make myself and the people that I was talking with more comfortable. Instead of acknowledging that enslavement was an experience of terrorism, dehumanization, 
dehumanization, violence, torture. And I learned something about myself and how I talk about race, how I talk about experiences that are not mine. And in this and other situations when my biases are exposed, I try very hard and sometimes I succeed to acknowledge the defensiveness that I am feeling because of that challenge, to breathe, to realize that mistakes are opportunities. And if I want to live this weapon of justice life, then when I make mistakes, it is an opportunity to learn and to build resiliency, which will just make my buckler of justice stronger. Paul talks about being raised into new life through Jesus. That through Jesus' resurrection life, we have access to understanding and access to new life. And I would argue here with Paul, a little bit at least, that it's also through Jesus' life, through his life in ministry, through his interactions, through his relationships that we learn. Because Jesus also can make mistakes and be offered grace and do better. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Jesus encountering a Canaanite woman who is seeking healing for his daughter, and he refuses. He says, why should we give to dogs what was meant for the children? And she pushes back at him and says, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And Jesus repented. And they were both healed. When Avery Canode was here a couple of weeks ago, he was our guest, uh, talking about his experience as a transgender person. One of the things that he talked about was how when we make a mistake with pronoun use, for example, or using a trans person's dead name, the invitation is to correct ourselves, move on, and do better. Sometimes the mistake, though, might mean having to apologize even when my intention was not to harm someone. The problem of a sin like heterosexism or racism is that while we who are white or cisgender or hetero or educated or all of the many other privileges that we hold in our different backpacks, sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we do harm when that was not our intention. Uh, A lot of years ago now, there was a story on This American Life about uh, an episode about apologies. And since then, I have carried with me the lesson of one of the teachers who was a part of that, exper- part of that episode, who taught her children in her class a formula for apologizing that goes like this. I am sorry for harmful action. I was wrong because, name the consequence for the person harmed, Next time, I will, and then a positively stated behavior. This is hard. It's harder than you might think. Uh, And it's definitely not the I'm sorry if you were offended type of non-apology. Because you actually need to think about, even if you had no intention to harm somebody, what the harm was that they experienced. So when you're saying, and when you're saying, Next time I will, 
in my experience with my own children is this is the hardest part because you can't just say, next time I will not yell at my brother. You have to say, next time I will, and then think of how you will respond in a positive way in that same situation. Next time I will use a calm voice and a calm body. So in situations where children are fighting, that has them think about what their actions are. But sometimes the harms that adults do are much more grievous. Uh, and again, on This American Life, but like really recently, a couple weeks ago, uh, there, was a, an, a, there was a story about an apology in the best way, the best kind of apology. It was about a writer on a popular sitcom who, uh, who basically harassed and sexually, it wasn't assault, it was, it was sexual harassment and pursual of one of his writing staff. Showering her with attention and professing his love for her, and then when he was rebuffed, uh, totally changing the tone and critiquing her and, and picking her out for criticism and not giving her the best jobs. And uh, it took many years and they both moved on from those jobs. But in his apology, he named those specific behaviors and acknowledged that yes, that was what he, what he was doing. He recognized that even though he didn't realize it at the time, he was using his power in a way that he never would have done with a male colleague, and that he was harming her opportunities to, to uh, grow as a writer and advance in her career. And then finally, he talked about the way that he would run his staffs differently in the future and about how he, would have, how he should have operated differently in that situation. And he did this in public. He did it publicly in a way that almost no other men who have apologized during these past Me Too months have done. He, was vulnerable, it was a chance on his part, and uh, in the story on This American Life, he, uh, he refused to, to come on the program because, again, he said, this is not about me, this is about the person that I harmed. The dude made a mistake, and he was a self-proclaimed feminist, and it took years for him to make the apology, but when he did, he was a weapon for justice. And there was grace. Grace not just for him, but for the woman he hurt as well. She talks about the relief, the release of hearing this acknowledgement of a thing that she had been carrying for years. Grace because of justice. May we all be so courageous as to receive and offer grace. And may we offer our whole bodies to God in an expectation of receiving this grace. And in conclusion, don't be an unrighteous tool. Be a weapon for justice. Amen.